Hello, folks. This is your host, Tammy Tucky, and you are now listening to the Tierra Talk Show. We bring you rare interviews with the makers of Disney magic. Whether they be singers, actors, imagineers, animators, they have all made their mark on the Disney name. Be sure to check out the show notes, other episodes, contests, our social media pages from Facebook to Twitter, and more on our official website at www.thetierratalkshow.com. All guest opinions are theirs and theirs alone and do not represent the opinions of the Tierra Talk Show or the host. The Tierra Talk Show is not associated with the Disney Company. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. And from all of us here at the Tierra Talk Show, have a hoop de doo day. I'm excited to welcome this week's Tierra Talk Show guest, former Imagineer Peggy Ferris, to the show. Welcome, Peggy. Thank you, Tammy. It's really great to have you on the show. You know, I, I was reading a lot about Spaceship Earth, and that's kind of how I came across your name. And I love Epcot, and I especially love Spaceship Earth. So I'm really excited to be talking with you today. But before we kind of get into, you know, becoming an Imagineer, I thought it would be really interesting to talk about some of your first jobs, and they included working at Disneyland, the the main theme park itself. So, you know, what was the inspiration to go ahead and work there? Well, I grew up in Anaheim, and And um, every birthday, um, every one of my birthdays, my mother would take my brother and me out of school and we'd play hooky and we'd go to Disneyland. And so Disneyland was always a really special part of my life. Um, In the summertime, my dad would take us up onto the roof of our house and we could watch the fireworks from about six miles away. So, um, you know, Disneyland was really special, but I never thought about working there. And then in the summer after I graduated from high school, um, a good friend of mine said that uh, since I was going to be going to school uh, locally in Fullerton, that um, that I might want to get a job. She'd been working there that summer. And she said, it's really fun, but tell them you want to be a ride operator, which today we call uh, attraction hosts and hostesses. And I reported to um, to casting, and my interviewer, a fellow named Fritz Opel, handed me a script, and it was the narration for Storybook Land. And I read it, um, you know, welcome to Storybook Land, everyone. My name is Peggy, and we're on board the Katrina. Together, we're going to relive some of the most famous fairy tales of all time, and um and he hired me and I reported the next day. And um, at that point, I was just really working um, Friday night, Saturday night and about four hours on Sunday. And it was so much fun. I mean, it didn't really feel like a job. In fact, after i have been there about three months, I got a call from my supervisor and he, he called me to his office and he handed me a stack of paychecks. And he said, payroll would like you to cash these. I really had been working for free. (laughs) And uh, I thought, this is really terrific. I mean, you get paid 
for this and it's and you're working with uh, wonderful people and you get a chance to visit with guests and on storybook land you know you have just uh, maybe a handful of guests maybe eight people in a little boat and you're with them for maybe 10 minutes and um, it was lovely just drifting along those tri- the tranquil canal and uh, being surrounded by miniatures and and uh, so I was having a wonderful time and then I was um, actually my um, my supervisor uh, said he'd like to ask me out but I we couldn't date because I was in his area so um, he arranged a transfer to the Matterhorn and that was much more uh, a much more fast-paced attraction and uh and then for the next five years or so, five and a half years, I worked at Disneyland. I was part of the opening crew of Tomorrowland in 1967 when we opened the Carousel of Progress and uh, and uh, Monsanto's Adventure Through Inner Space. And um, it was it was really fun. And then finally, I transferred to Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln and had a, a lovely time there. But in 69, they had taken 10 of us from Disneyland, 10 tour guides and ride operators to Walt Disney World for the press conference. And in this case, um, it was for the Walt Disney Productions to announce that they were going to go ahead with Walt Disney's dream for Walt Disney World. And um, I took a look around this uh enormous construction site and thought there are bound to be opportunities for uh for people with disney experience so um so i came back to disneyland and really started talking to people in earnest about what opportunities there might be in florida for the opening of walt disney world and found a position with um the hotel company and this was Disney's uh, joint venture with U.S. Steel to build the Contemporary Resort Hotel and the Polynesian Village. And that, again, was sort of the first time Disney extended the themed experience to the guest's entire stay. So rather than just have your themed experience in the park, this was also an opportunity for you to to stay in a themed resort and themed, have themed dining and experience recreation that was all themed to um, the Polynesian Village, the Contemporary Resort Hotel. And and um, we had plans on the drawing board for three additional themed hotels at the time. So it got me to Florida uh, in 1971, about six months before Walt Disney World opened. And I spent the next five and a half years there working primarily in convention sales. With Epcot, you are a development manager and also an Imagineer on these projects, especially with Spaceship Earth. So right. So in, in 1969, when I was in Florida for the press conference and we were talking about the first phase of Walt Disney World, the Magic Kingdom and the themed resort hotels and Fort Wilderness campgrounds. And then, you know, Epcot, we'd... we'd We'd all seen the film that Walt Disney had done in 1966, where he talked about Epcot, the experimental prototype community of tomorrow, where people would live a life they couldn't find anywhere else. So that was this 
big, big idea. But then Walt died. So the, you know, Roy Disney said, we're going to go ahead with Walt's dream of Walt Disney World. And I think everybody was really comfortable with, we'll, we'll do the Magic Kingdom because we, we know how to do a theme park. We will do these themed resort hotels. It's kind of new to us, but we think we can extend our expertise. And I think the the idea of Epcot was something that um, that that people sort of deferred. Like, how do we get our arms around that? During my time at Walt Disney World, from 1971 for the next five and a half years. I was learning about how to plan meetings. I was um, I was traveling a little bit to represent Walt Disney World to people who uh, who were hosting meetings, and um, and you know I I loved it because it it really exposed me to all of Walt Disney World, all the operations. You had to know everything from transportation to entertainment to food and beverage. I loved that deep immersion in Walt Disney World. And I also liked the contact we had with um, with the outside world. But I realized I never planned to stay in Florida forever. And um, I have my family, uh, my mom and dad and my little brother were living back in California. And I started thinking, you know, I'm just a voice on the telephone to my little brother. So I started thinking about what might I be able to do back in California that would let me build on the experiences I'd had at Walt Disney World. And one day I ran into Marty Sklar. And Marty um, had, you know, Marty had been playing a really important role within Disney for many, many years. He'd been hired um, right out of UCLA, he had been editor of the Daily Bruin. He wrote um, uh, the Disneyland Gazette when he was um, when he was right out of school. And when I met him in 1969, he was oh, and he had written everything that Walt Disney said. You know, Marty was really the one who who would uh, who would meet with Walt and. And Walt would explain to him what a particular project would be. And then Marty would translate that into um, press releases and um, and descriptions and and even, I think, probably scripts for Walt for television to explain a new concept. So Marty, by that point, was at Walt Disney Imagineering, and he was uh, very senior in the creative organization. And he said, well, you know, Peggy, we are we are actually planning Epcot now and we're thinking about it not as a place where people actually live, but a place that can showcase new ideas and then people can take those ideas back to wherever it is they live and uh, you know this will begin to inform the the shape that the future takes but unlike the Magic Kingdom or Disneyland where our subject matter was based more on fantasy or imagination an adventure this this Epcot Park will um, be composed of a future world and world showcase. Showcase will represent the culture and architecture and food and 
uh, of countries around the world. But Future World will consist of pavilions dedicated to particular topics that will be important to the future. So we'll have a pavilion uh, of energy. We'll have a, p- a pavilion of land and food production. We'll have a pavilion of transportation, a pavilion of communications. And in order for us to really develop the stories for these pavilions, we want to host a series of conferences and we'll invite people from universities, from business, from uh, the uh, foundations and nonprofits will get the best minds in the country to tell us who's doing important work on these in these various fields. And so with my meeting planning experience, I was able to transition from Walt Disney World to Walt Disney Imagineering. It was called WED at the time, or Walter Elias Disney. Um, And so I started at Imagineering in 1976, um, organizing the Epcot conferences. And then as kind of a spinoff of the conferences, we would identify maybe six people. And in those conferences, there would always be some people who were really excited about the project that we were embarking on and wanted to work with us throughout the development process to help um, to help make sure that that we had access to the best the best minds, the best people, the best stories. So we formed advisory boards uh, for energy, for the land, for the seas, for space, and we would convene those advisory boards every oh every uh, probably four to six months and we would bring them in to Imagineering. And we set up an entire day where we'd meet with the creative teams and the creative teams would say, here's the work that we've been doing. We think uh, for the land pavilion, we, we want to tell a story about farming and we want to tell a story about not only just traditional farming, but some of the really unique things that are going on in the world. And just as an aside, one of the people we met through the course of the advisory boards was a fellow named Carl Hodges from the University of Arizona. And he and his team were doing a lot of work in controlled environment agriculture. And so if if you've ever ridden through the land boat ride at, uh, at Epcot, so much of that work is uh, really a demonstration of things we uh, we observed um, when we met with Carl and his people. So anyway, I, I was really busy for the first couple of years doing the Epcot conferences and the Epcot advisory boards. And then one day, Marty asked me if I would do the historical research on Spaceship Earth. And Ray Bradbury had given us the story outline and a and a narration, but we had to figure out how do we tell the story of 40,000 years of communications history in essentially 17 scenes. So we met with uh, with Fred Williams, Dr. Fred Williams, who was Dean of the School of Communications, um, the Annenberg School of Communications at USC. 
and he and one of his graduate students um, and I worked together on figuring out what the key um, key scene should be. And so, for example, uh, we filled a room with three by five cards, chronicling everything that all the significant developments in communications in terms of how do we go from speaking to each other to recording um, information to being able to disseminate that information over great distances. Um, So the story sort of broke down into these dramatic visual scenes. And the, um, the first scene, for example, it at Spaceship Earth, you you board a, a ride vehicle, a time machine, essentially. In Ray Bradbury's initial narration, he said, it was very poetic, he said, Who are we? Where have we come from? The answers begin in our past, in the dust from which we were formed, answers recorded on the walls of time. So let us journey into that past. And, and, guests would board their time machine vehicles and travel up into um, the the spaceship Earth sphere. And the first uh, scene you encounter is of, of Cro-Magnon cavemen um, shouting to one another as they try to hunt uh, and bring down this woolly mammoth. And the next scene leads you into a cave Again, you know, the same fellas and a shaman and a family sitting in the cave. And you see that there are people recording elements of the hunt on the walls of the cave. And um, and the shaman is telling the story. So we we understand that first we talk to each other in order to to um, accomplish big things that we couldn't do alone and then we 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 convey that story to others who weren't there so we're sharing information orally and then we're recording this in pictures on the wall and that will serve to remind us of that great story and that great accomplishment um it was it was really extraordinary we found people who would give we found a a professor who focused on Egyptian um, history and he provided us with the hieroglyphics that that line the walls of the temple as you move into the scene Um, and they actually tell a story. He showed us a letter that a pharaoh had written to his one of his administrators and um, we uh, had him speak that letter so when you pass through the scene the pharaoh is dictating to a scribe and he is saying nsut nseshnet sut chati imen hotep ankwaji seneb imiraheut hani jat jat and titima and we understand from um from uh, dr degrassi that this is a letter where the pharaoh is saying you're my representative in the field and I expect you to to represent me well and so you know each of those scenes was so much fun we found a professor in I think it was in Minnesota Dr. Kramelkoff who 
Oh, you know, and I, I had the pleasure of just calling these people out of the blue and saying, hello, Dr. Kramelkoff, we understand you speak Phoenician and I rep- I'm from Walt Disney Imagineering and we're building an attraction and we want to showcase um, the a Phoenician um, trader and uh, and a ship's captain talking about how they're taking the goods to, to Tarshish. And, you know, we really want to imbue each of these scenes with as much authenticity as we can. And this was sort of a contrast to the approach Imagineering was taking to the uh, world of motion, the transportation pavilion, because in that case, Ward Kimball was doing a really fanciful, funny um take on the development of transportation and he was just having fun and making things up and we said okay well you know we want Epcot to have um, variety and a richness so it doesn't feel like every pavilion is telling the same story in the same tone so with Spaceship Earth we we really set out to make sure that we could imbue each scene with as much real um authenticity as possible so what was the thought on the ending scene because you know we have a lot of progress going on there's so many new technologies that are out in the world and being developed and i would only assume that your plan initially or the the entire plan of spaceship earth was maybe to update the ending kind of like how the carousel progress had its last scene and so how was that aspect taken on so a couple of things happened you're absolutely right tammy that you know, when you're when you're recounting history, you're on pretty safe ground. I mean, we've we've made some changes to the attraction over the years, adding elements and switching things out. A cup, but a couple of things come into play. So one is you recognize that communications is going to continue to evolve, and the changes may happen very quickly. And who can imagine what they might be? But the other part of it is that physically. The um, you've been traveling up, up, up through this sphere, and then you get to the top, and and that's the scene where you're out in space looking back at this tiny spaceship Earth, this little blue marble floating in the in the universe, floating in the vastness of space, and now you have to get back to unload. So. You know, this is where the the physical aspects of an attraction and the story aspects of the attraction come together. And I think in this way, we knew that we couldn't build very elaborate sets in the down ramp. And we knew that we wanted to be able to continue to um, refresh the show. I mean, this is kind of the part that wraps it all up for us. So when I was um, when when I was involved in it, we were looking at external screens that conveyed people um, from around the world reporting on information. And then um, I know Larry Gertz was involved in doing the version called Tomorrow's Child. And again, I think we were looking at images on screens that were external to the ride vehicle. 
By the time we um, began a partnership with Siemens, we changed the story from uh, just developments in communications to saying that all invention is the result of work that others have done before us and then we can build on those innovations and in that case by the time the the creative team was ready to work on what the down ramp story would be there was technology that enabled us to do touch screens in the ride vehicles and um, and to be able to engage people in and invite them to create their own futures. You know, in each case, the technology of the time sort of gives us more opportunities to do fun things. So it was it was really, it was challenging and fun. And we, we came up with lots of, I think, lots of really creative ways of representing corporate sponsorship. And then one day the phone rang and they asked me if I'd like to go to Disneyland Paris to lead the Imagineering team. And... So that represented my last five years with Disney, and that was extraordinary. Getting to be able to talk to you today, Peggy, is really a complete honor. So, And before we end the show, I have three Disney-themed questions I always ask my guests. I call them the Fab Three. So we'll start with the Donald question, which is, as a child, what Disney film was one of your favorites to see in the movie theater? Well, the the I have a really clear vision of seeing Cinderella in uh in the theater with my parents so that I that one is like that just stands out I think I was about three years old and I I still remember that vividly even today and our goofy question what Disney character do you think you would be best friends with if you got to meet them in person I don't know. I saw Zootopia the other day, and I, I really liked some of the characters in that. So, And our Mickey question, if I asked you to name any Disney song at this very moment, what immediately comes to mind? Oh, I, you know, I love the song from uh, Tangled, where um, that all at once, you know, they're out on the boat, and all those beautiful lanterns are, are um, floating up to the sky. I just love that one. It's a beautiful piece. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Peggy. I, I really do hope we get to have you back on the show again soon because, you know, you've, you've, we, we only got to cover just a small little bit of what you've done for the Walt Disney Company. So thank you again for your time and for coming on the show. This was a lot of fun. Thank you, Tammy. It was great talking to you. Without ever leaving their palaces, pharaohs could deliver proclamations and decrees to subjects across the land. Seven, eight, 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 eight,